Hello, and welcome back to the Be Well, Do Well podcast. I'm excited to have a conversation with another remarkable entrepreneur who's a thought leader, a thought provoker, and a bit of a disturber. Vikram is a serial entrepreneur turned real estate entrepreneur and business coach. He built a real estate team that did over $250 million in sales. And today we're going to have a candid conversation about ups and downs, wealth, wellness, and more. Welcome to the show, Vikram. Yo, what's up, buddy? Thank you for having me. I'm super pumped. Uh, this is right up my alley of, uh, of conversation, just getting down dirty, real and raw. Yeah, this is going to be good. This is going to be fun. So for those that don't know much about you, can you give us a little bit of background on yourself? Yeah, I mean, like I, um, I, I, I've always been entrepreneurial. Um, I don't know that I'm an entrepreneur. I think that's an interesting term, but I've always been entrepreneurial. I think entrepreneurs, um, I think it's kind of a buzzword now. And it's cool to be an entrepreneur, but I, you know, I always had a hustle growing up. I babysat the neighborhood kids. I would plant trees and gardening and, you know, wash the cars, just always trying to make money. Like my parents gave us a minimal allowance just for school lunches, but yeah, they, they provided all the toys and the, you know, all the, the normal, like, I, I don't know what's normal, but in our household, um, you didn't have to worry about clothes. You don't have to worry about paying for certain things like that was always taken care of college was always you know if you if you go to college my dad's like it doesn't matter where you go i'm paying for it right so all those necessities that you know we we would take for granted were covered um always food in the fridge but you know i was a i was a kid that liked to buy shit right like i um i say i have to be an entrepreneur because the job just couldn't afford to pay me enough and so i always like to buy stuff and um, always did the hustle and, you know, I got my first, my, my parents owned a pizza place, which I worked like religiously. Like I would go from lunch to the pizza place, work for an hour, help during the lunch, lunch, lunch rush. And then I'd go back to school or, or sometimes we are, me and my friends, we, we wouldn't make it back to school because, you know, we'd smoke a little weed on the way to the work and, <laughs> you know, go get beers on the East side. We were, we were very crazy kids. And, um, I remember when I was 17, my older brother got a letter in the mail from Vector Marketing, which is basically the marketing arm for Cutco Cutlery. And it was $14 an appointment. And as a kid, you just see $14. And I'm like, I want to make 14 bucks. So my older brother goes to the interview and, uh, or my older brother called books the interview and then he throws the piece of paper away and he doesn't let me have it. We're very close in age, so we're very competitive, I guess. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, dude, this is like when, you know, like there, there, we, we had a phone system, but you could hit redial. So I, he was in my parents' bedroom and on the phone system, because like, this is before you had the screen and you're like, you know, so if you make another call, you're screwed because yeah. that, that call disappears. So I run upstairs, I call, I book an appointment and an interview the same exact time that my brother had it. And our mom drops us off at the interview. It's 110 degrees in Bakersfield, like 106 degrees. I'm like in a suit and tie because yeah, it's like a big deal. It's a marketing company, right? Like I'm a 17 year old kid and um, they obviously hire everybody, but they hired my brother and I, cause we're like, we're the rich kids, right? So they know how the flyers go out, right? So it's like, oh, you do a geo farm. Like they're geo farming the people that they want because they know that people that live in the neighborhood we mm -hmm. grew up in have more disposable income. They can sell bigger sets of knives. So when they saw that we called in, they're like, oh, cool. Come on in. Where do you guys live? We're like, blah, blah, blah. They're like, oh yeah, the rich kids for sure. Come in. 
at the end of the at the end of the uh, interview, they hire us, and me and my brother got dropped off by our mom, mm-hmm. and our mom was busy doing something else. So we're sitting there in the office, and I remember Mike, my manager, like he's like, whatever you guys want, you know, like nobody shows up in a suit. So like, I'm the, I, I'm the sticking out guy. Cause I'm like dressed to impress. And, um, you know, it's, it's like an hour. We're chilling there half an hour, hour. We're chilling there. He's like, you guys need a ride. I'm like, no, we're good. He's like, are you sure? And I'm like, yeah, we're fine. Like we're good. We'll just walk. It's a hundred degrees outside. Like it's Anchorage field, California in the middle of the desert. It's a hundred degrees. So like, no, we'll just walk to my dad's office. It's just like right up the street. My parents' house from where the the thing was, was a nine mile walk. My dad's office was two miles. It seemed doable. We get out there and it's hot. And he sends his girlfriend, his girlfriend was like, you know, she's like 22, 23, smoking. And he drove the Honda Prelude, right? This is when the rice rockets were all big things. And they picked us up and I was like, oh dude, like these people actually care about us. And that was like my first real outside of the family, outside of doing like illegal things. Like that was a real hustle. And um, selling knives was like, you know, people are like, dude, you sold knives and you're happy about them. Like dude, selling knives wasn't just my first learning, but during 2009, when the market was impossible to find a job, I'd had a master's degree. I'd had a couple of businesses in between then and now. And um, I'd sold my cell phone stores and I moved to Seattle. I got married, bro. I didn't have any money. I had like 20 grand, which sounds like a lot of money, but not in Seattle, right? Like no job. It's 2008, 2009, just got married. The ex-wife wasn't working. And I called my dad. I'm like, dude, I did like 20 interviews. I got one job offer. Everybody else told me I'm not hireable. I'm not employable. I either had too much education and not enough business experience, or I had too much, uh, I, I just had too much drive for them. So I was told I was unemployable by like one of the guys that I wanted the job of. They hired somebody else. And Wells Fargo was going to pay me a whopping $45,000 a year to start out as a teller. And I was like, go f- yourselves. I called my dad up and I'm like, yo, I need, I need to sell knives. And he's like, okay, why? I'm like, because I'm not going to work for the, like the, the bank and make $40,000 a year and work nine hours a day. And he's like, all right, well, what, what do you need? I'm like, I'm flying home this weekend. Um, let's get into the attic and let's go find my kit that's been there for 10 years, just chilling. And we went, got the knives and I used the product every day. Like I, I had the knives in my kitchen, but I didn't have like my whole demo kit. Bro, I went in, found it, dusted it off. That year sold like 200,000 bucks worth of knives. And at a 50% commission, I made six figures that year selling knives. When my ex-wife was an attorney, her attorney friends were making like 80,000, 70,000, 60,000. And, um, you know, like, it's just, it's just a beautiful thing when you know how to sell. Like if you can sell, there is always a job for you. That's amazing. That's amazing. I I totally agree with that. I think salespeople get seen as, you know, kind of like scums, like they're, people think that they're just trying to lie and cheat you, but the, the art of selling and persuading is so powerful. And I'm so, I'm so glad that you learned that early on in your life. Now, yeah. there's a number of things that you said there, and I'm, I'm going to try to go off memory here, but one of the things you talked about is like going at lunch and working at your parents' pizza place. Now, 
that was that optional or was that something that your parents are like, you got to be there? It, it sounds to me like you wanted to go. My parents needed help, man. My mom and my dad had this grandiose idea of let's open up a pizza place and mm -hmm. a new shopping center opened up like 20 years ago. And my dad had this grandiose idea that we're going to franchise out this concept. And they hired like Ed Ledoux and paid him $15,000 for recipes. And I mean, the pizza was bomb, but my mom and her business partner, God bless their hearts. They, they didn't need a business. They had three kids each. Like they were busy as hell. My mom was like the, you know, president of all these different uh, associations, like busy as hell, busy household. You know, my little brother's 10 years younger than me. They didn't need a business. My mom really did not need a hobby. She mm -hmm. was busy enough, like cleaning up our plates and cups all day long and wiping the counters down and making sure we got to and from our activities and being home when we got home. My dad was like, dude, we should open up a pizza place and we'll crush it. I don't know where he got this idea. So my mom and her business partner and her best friend became business partners. And like, you know, they're trying to bootstrap the, the business because it, there's not a lot of money in food. And so they're bootstrapping right. it. And they got like all of my, my mom's business partner had like all of her extended family from India there working and mm -hmm. they didn't speak English or, you know, they didn't know how to drive or they didn't have cars or a thousand different things. And I can work really fast. So I just saw my mom struggling. I saw them struggling. They had fun, but I don't know that they ever really made any money for the amount of time they put in there. Like it was, it was hard. So we would go in there and the other thing is my dad gave me 10 bucks a day for lunch or 10 bucks a week for lunch. Our school lunches were like three bucks. Okay. Or like two, like it, I was always short. So we would go there and, and they charge $5 for their lunch special. So I'm like, dad, I, I can't even afford our own, our own meal. Right. Like you live in an 8,000 square foot house, like 10 bucks. He's like, figure it out, son. I was like, all right. So we would go in work at lunch, get free food. Um, and then, you know, my friends would always eat for, you know, eat for like two fifty, So they would eat for half price, yeah. um, cover the cost. And then we would always like roll a joint and go and we were bad kids. Um, we're, we're mischievous kids. And so we would, you know, we get lit and we go make pizza and then, uh, you know, we'd go back to school or we'd go to the park afterwards and just, you know, screw school. And was school something that you just did to get through it? Oh, yeah, dude. I I have no idea how I passed any classes. Like, I I mean, I never did homework. I, I, was, I just wasn't a good student. Like, it was boring. It was super boring. But I did have one teacher, uh, my English teacher, which is surprising, but um, he was like a cool dude. He drove Corvettes. Like he was a cool guy. Like men need men, like boys need mm -hmm. men as mentors. And he was a mentor. And I remember one day he pulled me outside of class and he's like, Vikram, what's going on? Like, you know, you're, you, you never show up to any of the other classes, but you show up to mine. I'm like, because boys want a tribe, whether mm -hmm. they admit it or not. And they need a tribe. And I was like, dude, you're cool. You drive a Corvette. You live in a nice house. Like you're not a typical teacher. You've actually had businesses. You've been outside of just teaching, you know, like you're a cool guy. And, um, you know, he was like, he was like, you know, like a, a cool mentor. And, um, that was, that was something that I enjoyed. So I'd go to his class and we'd always talk and he's out of, you know, however many years of school and college MBA and all sorts of shit. He's the only person I still talk to only professor. I still talk to. Um, and 
it's pretty cool. And he talks to a lot of his students, which is pretty cool. That's interesting. Do you think that that had a big role in your desire to be a, a coach, a business coach, a real estate coach? Um, I've always been more of a, of a teacher. Uh, when I was 18, I had an opportunity to run a Cutco office and I would have made more money selling because I was at a 50% commission rate and I would have sold 50 to $75,000 worth of knives that following summer, right? Like that was just, that was the trajectory of where I was at based off of the previous year of training and things of that nature. And summer is super competitive for Cutco because like all the college kids, all the high school kids are, you know, they're bombarded with the med- with the, with the, with the jobs. Mm-hmm. And so I would have made, you know, Forty, fifty thousand dollars, maybe maybe a little bit less, but forty, fifty thousand because I would have been an assistant manager making an override off the office. Mm-hmm. And that summer, I made maybe like ten thousand mm-hmm. when it was all said and done, which is not a bad summer. But I had a team of forty-eight people. I had an office. I had a lease. I had my. It was my you know first business. Um, you know, I was responsible for rents, utilities. We painted the office. We had to buy chairs and tables. And I was 18, dude. Like I, I didn't, I, I could barely like brush my teeth. My reps were all older than me. I, I was the youngest person in my office. Everybody was older than me because I graduated at 17 from high school. So I loved that experience of teaching people and watching them grow and seeing them come out of their shell and like getting on stage and winning awards. Like I love getting the awards too. Don't get me wrong, but seeing like one of your little babies like grow and come out of their shell. And, you know, I remember this one gal, uh, Liana, she was like the six foot chick and she was so shy. But by the end of the summer, she was like giggly and talkative. She didn't sell a lot, but she was like a different person because of our office environment. And like, that was really cool. So even in real estate, I, I didn't really like selling houses. I mean, I love selling houses, but I, I liked the aspect of, teaching other people to sell and letting them do it. And that's the work that I enjoy doing is watching other people grow Mm -hmm. uh, versus watching myself be the only, you know, like be the only one in the limelight. So you, you had a taste of money early on, right? You, you were a student making a lot of money. You said your, you know, your ex-wife, you were making more than her associates and stuff like that. That, that trajectory eventually is going to crash and then you're going to come back up and, you know, it's, it's the inevitable <laughs> part of life. <laughs> I think you know where I'm going with this. Um, dude, I mean, 2018, best year ever. We did about 50, $60 million in real estate sales. I was a Tony Robbins platinum partner, which just means I spent a lot of money to go hang out with really cool people and travel the world with them and do like really cool events with Tony Robbins and um, just meet like really cool entrepreneurs that are playing life at a different level. And one, even though I was making as much money as a lot of the people there, I never felt worthy mm-hmm. of the success that I had. And I didn't realize that there's a lot more inner work that was going to take me still working on it now today to do. Um, and I thought that like, okay, I was successful in real estate. I'm going to shut this business down. I'm done with Seattle. I've been in jail. I've been divorced. I had a manager stealing from me. Like I was just exhausted in life, right? Like I was just emotionally exhausted at that point. I mean, and I, um, I shut the business down and I didn't think that I was going to have such an emotional attachment and ego attachment to it. And, um, 
I wanted to get into coaching and my dad's not a believer in coaching. My little brother's like, dude, nobody's going to listen to you. You're a hothead. You're a this and a that. Um, and I went into another direction and my dad and I, we always have had a very challenged relationship, right? Because him and his dad had a challenged relationship. And I bet you him and his, his dad and his dad had a challenged relationship. So my dad and I had a challenged relationship. Our household was like, I wouldn't call it broken, but it looked really good from the outside. And, uh, you know, had the best roses because I planted them, the best yard because my mom was like super OCD about that. But the inside of the house was a lot of, a lot of brokenness. And, um, you know, I, I was just like, I go home, I build up my dad's like, Hey, let's do this business together called osteo strong. And it's a great product. And I was like, if we go home, maybe I can fix the relationship, but it actually got way worse. Hmm. And that business I put over $300,000 into. So, you know, even though we came off of our best year ever, you put $300,000 into a business and you're the one running it and you're used to making, you know, more than that a year all of a sudden, like things start to change pretty quickly. And we had our first year, we were solid. We were starting to make some money, a couple thousand bucks a month and profit, right? It's a, it's a very educational type of business. So we started to get some money coming in. I always invest my money back into the business, right? First year or two, you, you don't really take home a salary. So I was taking home a small salary here and there, like when there was a little bit of extra money or I just needed some cash. Um, but I lived off of credit cards. I lived off a line of credit, sold the Range Rover, um, you know, really went to a very minimalistic type of life, put all the money back into the business. And then the next year COVID hits. And even though we had our two best months during COVID, because our, I, I wrote an email, called all of our clients, reached out to them. Hey guys, we're shutting down, um, for a couple of weeks. And, um, I need you guys to support me. Otherwise I'm going to not be able to, you know, keep my employees. I'm not going to be able to open back up. Mm -hmm. And, um, they're like, dude, done. So they actually supported us throughout majority of the people stayed members that could. Um, and they were getting, you know, like a lot of the ones they got stimulus. So they're totally chill. They're like, dude, we want to be here with you. When you come back, you've been here for us. And so we actually had our best two months during COVID. But then after that, like, it just crashed, right? Like memberships dropped. People like, we can't afford to pay you guys if we're not coming in. We're scared to come in. All this crap, right? And like, all of a sudden you go from having a healthy business to a very unhealthy business. And, you know, we got like the PPP money and all the loans, but I invested all of that back into the business, right? And then somehow like I, I got this email from somebody that was wholesaling a house in Bakersfield where I was living at the time. And I was like, shit, dude, this is like a great deal. It's a total dump. Hoarders, no, not hoarders, but uh, squatters were living in it. Mm. I mean, it was like the video of it, it, the house stunk so bad, bro. Like, oh my God, I got a hard money loan. I bought that property. I thought I'd refinance out of it. I used credit cards, line of credit that I had. I fixed this house up. I rented the house. So like in the middle of like the worst financial period of my time, I actually was able to, so like, there's always availability of money, mm -hmm. right? Even going into this new economy that we're in right now, there's availability of money, but like, um, times are not always easy, dude. And, and when I shut down the real estate company, we, we had cash flow like 
no problem. When you shut something down, what a lot of entrepreneurs don't realize, and this is, I think, why people die so quickly after they retire, is you have a lot of ego and a lot of personality attached to that entity. Mm -hmm. And when you don't have something yeah. there already set up to replace that energy, you you drop and it's hard to come back. And like, I'm just glad that I had people in my corner like Sharon and Bedros and people that I had met along the way. And um, they were there to kind of like hold space for me, but it's been a long four years. It's been like a very long four years because at the height of my, uh, at the height of it, I ended up with $500,000 in debt. So like, yeah. it, it's been a, it's been a long, and it's not like a mortgage debt. It's like credit cards and loans. Like, you know, you're, 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 you're to the, to the T's and, and like, I'm finally starting to come out of that now after four years, but it's been a really long, hard four years. Like you, you want to, you want to have some self-development, start some businesses. <laughs> <laughs> I always said that, right? Is running a business, being an entrepreneur, that's the best vehicle for personal development. And yeah, so bro. when you're, you know, when you're down, you are not the, uh, the most timid or introverted person. You've, you've got a very like, you know, loud and bright personality. And I love that about you. But when you're down, what, what do you do to kind of pick yourself up? Like, do you, you know, go, I know you're big into fitness, but like, what, what do you do to get out of that feeling of a slump? Well, I mean, like I keep this little bottle of, uh, of like naturopathic homeopathic medicine. It's like depression, mood, distress. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think a lot of people inadvertently don't know that they're depressed or they're having anxiety or they're, you know, they're, um, they just, they just don't feel right. right. They don't know how to kind of diagnose it because nobody wants to be a depressed person, right? Especially with somebody, like you said, that's known to be outgoing. Mm -hmm. um, I share a lot of stuff personally online like this. Uh, I share that I had a therapist for a really long time um, that I saw sometimes twice a week um, via Zoom. Uh, I got in, you know, like fitness and health have always been really big for me. And I think that the stronger you are physically, the more you can handle emotionally. So like uh, my my buddy and one of my coaches uh, in the past, Steve Eckert, says it's called manufactured adversity. So you okay. put yourself into hard places, right? Mm -hmm. You do the thing that's called the project by Bedros, right? That Bedros Koolian created. And it's 75 hours of just beating the hell out of you so that you can break down to build up. It's being around the positive people of Tony Robbins community. It's being in our mastermind that we're in. It's being around, you know, Right now I'm traveling in Colombia with my business partner, being around other people who are upbeat. Because if yeah. you don't put yourself around the, if your five people are, you know, oh, the economy's crashing, the world's coming to an end, this is all shit, the government, everybody sucks. You end up going down that path. So, yeah. you know, we, we have to really be careful of our environment I just I wrote a I wrote an email on this a couple of days ago, but a lot of entrepreneurs that want to be successful they negate their environments. We, mm -hmm. we we don't look at our petri dish, and you know like yesterday I went and did a colonic session, right? Because I'm like my body's not clean. Like there's stuff that needs right. to come out. Like I need to flush out these parasites, these viruses, these things that are holding me back. 
because they're sucking my life force out of me. And so even though it's uncomfortable, you know, it's not fun to have a, you know, a large <laughs> device stuck in your butt for half an hour and you're right. leaned over in a very vulnerable position. Yeah. It actually teaches you a little bit of humility and it lets you release and it lets you trust and it lets you like, there's a lot that goes into being in an uncomfortable situation. And I think that's one of the big things about me going to the gym. Um, you put yourself in uncomfortable positions, but then, you know, you put your shirt on yep. and your shirt fits you like, wow, this shirt, I'm 40 years old and this shirt's never felt so good. And when bad things happen, you're like, dude, I just went to the gym for an hour and I lifted heavy ass weights. I was sweating. I didn't want to do it, but I pushed myself. I pushed through that mental fatigue. I pushed mm -hmm. through that. I can't do it. I pushed through that. Like, oh my God, because we only allow ourselves to be at about 10% of uncomfort before we quit. Mm -hmm. So for me, cycling is a really big thing. And, you know, like we, I've done hundred mile bike rides. I've done 50 mile bike rides. I try to keep up with people that are always faster than me and better than me but you don't always have to lead. Sometimes you can let mm -hmm. them lead and then other times you can jump in and support. So you have to, th there's that balance in life where you're a leader or sometimes you're a follower and knowing that you're not always going to be the leader kind of gives you like a little bit of like, Oh, that feels good. Like I'm, I'm, that's always my vision as an entrepreneur, but um, it's not always me having to lead. And I right. think that for me, the way you get rid of anxiety is you do the things that keep you in the present state. Like you can't be on a bike in Colombia, which I just did mm -hmm. going up a 14% grade and thinking about tomorrow. Right. Like you just, you just are present. You're a hundred percent present to yeah. one stroke, one stroke, one stroke, one stroke. That That's all yeah. you can think about because bro, you got cars coming at you. You got potholes you're in a foreign space where you've never been on the road before. And then you turn around and you come down the 14% grade and you're going 45 miles an hour when you're flying, you can't be thinking about, Oh my God, that one person told me to F off on the phone and I hate prospect. No, you're full. So the more we can yeah. learn to be present, right? If you got, you know, for me, 135 pounds on a bench press, which is where I'm at right now, I can't be thinking about anything else. So by doing hard physical things, it puts you in the present moment. And that's like you and I right now, we're in the present moment. We're having a conversation. I'm not thinking about the next call. I'm not thinking about what happened 15 minutes before this call. I'm just thinking about like, hey, I'm having a conversation with you about this. And being present is the biggest present you can give yourself. Absolutely. You and I talked a little bit uh, a while back about putting yourself in uncomfortable positions. And um, the, the example you gave was cold showers, right? Like turn it on cold, <laughs> step in. But I'm, I'm more interested, not in the, the cold shower part of that, but it's that, that negotiation in your head before you get into the shower, right? And so I've tried it. And I, I, the thing that came in my mind was like, should I do it now? Should I do it? Should I do it now? Like, you yeah. know, like I was hesitating and I was like, okay, I just got to get in, right? I just have to jump in. And right. surprisingly, I mean, I, I don't know if you realize the impact of that conversation, like telling somebody that, you know, bringing to light the fact that there is this internal negotiation for me got rid of the need for the negotiation. That's and so, you know, that's one example, but do you have any other examples of putting yourself in an uncomfortable position? You talked about the bike ride. That was great. Uh, but from a business standpoint, 
Do you have any ideas or examples? Prospect early. Yeah. Everybody's got to do it. Like you reached out to me for my, for, to be a guest on your podcast. That's a form of prod, uh, of prospecting. Mm-hmm. And you know, the earlier you do it in the day, right? The easier it is. Like yeah. Alex Ramosi and Bedros and Sharon and a lot of the people like that I follow my uncle, right? My uncle wakes up at four o'clock in the morning, sometimes three works out for an hour, goes to the office by seven, seven thirty every day. And I'm like, why do you do that? He's like, because the longer I waited in the day when I was young, now it's a habit, but the longer I waited in the day, the more I wouldn't do what I needed to do. Right. So I just created the structure and the habits that allow me to do what I need to do to be successful because he's like, I didn't want to work at McDonald's ever again. And when we, the, the reason why I always say the first thing you do in the morning is prospecting is one, I learned that at Cutco, you, you just get up, you're, you're on the phones at seven. Like we were calling Mrs. Jones at 7 a.m., oftentimes waking her up. And she mm-hmm. was like, why are you calling this early? I'm like, well, I'm working on this, this competition thing. And she's like, my kids are sleeping. You're a high school kid. You're going to college. Like, yeah, come over. Right. Like, so we, they, they had the scam and the, the, the script, but you got to do the hard things first. And I think the hardest thing for everybody to do, I think the hardest thing for everybody to do is to prospect. Mm-hmm. right? Nobody likes to do it. Nobody wants rejection. It's, it's not easy. And so if you do the hard things first, you win. Yeah. And it's just like, even like, if you can't do the hard things, then you got to be able to hire that out. Mm-hmm. So there, there's, there's two ways of business, right? Either you do it or somebody else does it. It doesn't matter how it gets done. It just matters that who does it, right? Is it you or is it somebody else? I don't really love prospecting, right? I kind of don't enjoy it. I don't think anybody does. And so I talking to some people, I'm like, Hey, you have a commission only person doing this type of stuff. They're like, yeah. And I'm like, well, that's crazy. Like, I wouldn't imagine a commission only person that would want to do this. Cause it's, there's no guarantee right. and it's hard, but you know, like there's a lot of people out there that will do it. So it's not about how it gets done. It's about who's going to do it. And how do you find those people? Um, so doing the hard things early in the morning are more important than just bucket, bucket listing your, your checklist, right. right? Because even though one feels good, the other one actually moves the needle. And when mm-hmm. you take a cold shower, you feel way better than when you just take a shower, right? So taking a cold shower is different than taking a shower. They both clean your body, but one makes you feel different than the other prospecting is way more important than you checking your email first thing in the morning. So just make some rules that are non-negotiables and create some habits, right? Create some triggers, create some barriers so that you do the things you need to do. So if you're not somebody who loves doing a certain part of your business, put a reward after it, right? Pavlov's dog or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like you get a treat and have, you, you give yourself a treat enough times Eventually, you don't need the treat. You just do the activity. Right. So your environment's really important. Like if your desk is a mess, like my desk's always kind of messy with wires, especially since we're traveling. Like it's hard to set up like lights and cameras and, Mm -hmm. you know, stream decks and all this shit that just keeps moving around everywhere I go. And so my desk has got wires everywhere and it drives me crazy. 
And so I, I find myself going outside with my computer to work a lot more now than mm -hmm. sitting here in the office, even though I have the double monitors, unless I have a Zoom call. Because the environment outside is more conducive to me feeling creative and energetic than it is sitting here in an office looking at a white wall. Not really all that fun. Yeah. You, you seem like you like to learn a lot and experiment either on yourself or with the business and, and whatnot. Is there something that you're either reading or audiobook listening to right now? Uh, I'm listening to Atomic Habits right now. Yeah, I can tell from <laughs> their conversation about habits. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I've fallen out of my rhythm with this like constant movement and I yeah. allowed myself to break my habits. Um, and I just, you know, like I haven't been as healthy. Um, I, I'm pretty sure I'm like a long COVID survivor. I don't mm -hmm. know what that means, but it just, it just burns to breathe. Okay. Uh, That's not I good. Guess, yeah. That's like, yeah. And, and I have like, you know, all these health things, um, but it still burns to breathe. So I was talking to my dad about it yesterday and he's like, yeah, we got it. You know, let's try this. Let's try that. Like, you know, try a couple of things to see if you can't push that through you, uh, mm -hmm. you know, because it burns to breathe. Like it with even all the activity I do, it burns to breathe. Um, so just creating new habits around that. And then, um, you know, putting the barriers in place, like instead of having my phone next to me, I'm working on putting my phone in the bathroom, right? So that you get up, you go to the bathroom, there's light in the bathroom. It's not yeah. dark. You know, use the restroom, splash some cold water on your face, brush your teeth. Now you're somewhat up, mm -hmm. right? So like for me, I, I need a couple hours in the morning to work really to yeah. then show up to do my my reach outs and my follow-ups and things of that nature. Um, and I would also say, you know, keeping a a goal, right? Like keeping your goals top of mind, writing them down. So I, I got out of that habit as well. So I'm like, all right, what do I need to do the night before to set yeah. myself up for success? So I've taken the charger out of my bedroom and I put it in the bathroom. Um, so that's like a trigger. Hey, you got to leave your phone to charge overnight. Mm -hmm. Charge your phone. So I try to bury my phone's battery so that I have to charge it at right. night yeah. so that when I get to the bathroom, I'm like, ah, oh, shit, I'm at 18%, mm -hmm. 9%. I'm like, ah, oh, and you know, I don't want to pull the plug out and put it in the bedroom anymore. So, and then it's like, okay, in the morning, I'm not writing my goals as I used to. Mm -hmm. So what do you need to do? Oh, when you show up and you grab your laptop, you just have your journal out there. Mm -hmm. And if you, if you have five goals that you write down, like if we just keep it super simple to five goals, one for business, one for fitness, um, one for faith, spirituality, right? One for your family and one for your finances, it makes it really easy. So it's like, okay, I'm going to meditate for five minutes today. Cool. Awesome. Um, I'm going to do uh, an hour of gym today at six o'clock when I'm done with my work day, or I want to go to the gym at 5 a.m., right? Because then I can start my day out that way. Um, I'm going to spend 15 minutes with my family with no cell phone. Nice. Like I'm going to do something like that, or I'm going to call my grandma, or I'm going to call my uncle, or I'm going to call my cousin. Small goals, right? Three gratitude text messages in the morning. Small goals and you write them down. I'm going to sell one new client a product today, or I'm going to put 10 new emails into my my pipeline today, right? Small little goals um, become 
big monumental wins at the end of a of a year. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, those habits, those they're success habits, right? You build one masterpiece day, chain it together to build a masterpiece week, and eventually, you know, you go from there. Do you have any technology productivity hacks uh, in terms of apps on your phone or biofeedback meditation? Any any technology related hacks? So many, bro. So I, I have a I have a whoop strap. Okay. Um it gives you your vitals. So I'm like, all right, I've been sleeping late the last couple of weeks. My, I, I know that when I sleep at a certain time, mm-hmm. I sleep better. And then if I don't, if I miss that window, then I kind of get like a second wind where I, it's hard to, to crash out. Mm-hmm. If I don't wake up early, then it's hard to sleep early. Right. So like there's the whoop strap, which is great. Um, which is a, uh, you know, it just gives you your feedback of what your your things are. Yeah. Um, the other thing is there's a product called Nucalm, N-U-C-A-L-M, and that's like a use of like binaural beat, some GABA. Um, you black out your light. It's got, you know, the music and everything. So that's like you can do a 20-minute nap on that. Nice. And you wake up and you're groggy for a little bit because you, it drops you into like deep sleep. But 20 minutes on that, 10 minutes to get yourself back aligned, you have that second win for the day mm-hmm. to really push yourself. Some days I wake up and I'm like, you know, I know I didn't sleep well and I'll pop it on for like a half hour mm-hmm. just to give you like that little extra deep sleep to start your morning off with. Um, so that's that's a productivity hack, but then you're in your phone in the morning, which, you know, gets into a whole nother layer of Instagram and TikTok yeah. and Facebook. Um, there's another app that I use, uh, that I used to use. It's called the Calm app. It's a meditation yeah. app. Um, I don't really have a challenge anymore doing meditation. So it doesn't really affect right. me as much. Um, and I don't do long meditations. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did sign up for Joe Dispenza in January, which is like eight hours, 10 hours, 12 hours of meditation a day. So oh. that should be interesting. Um, yeah. But like, I mean, as far as like apps go, I'm not super into apps. I mean, I we use Slack and all that shit. Yeah. Um, I'm not really into apps. I'm probably more into dating apps than I am into productivity hacks <laughs> on the app game right now. Um, <laughs> so I'd, I'd, I'd want to know what you're using. Oh, I have so many. I use the Muse headband. So you put it around your head and then it kind of wraps around your ears and it gives you the biofeedback for that. Um, the other thing I actually use, I'm on, are you on Apple or Android? Apple. Apple. So I'm not sure if they have this, but on Android, there's an app called strange name. It's called sleep as Android. You connect it to your, your watch and your phone together. And what it does is it actually monitors your sleep, similar to the whoop band that you've got there. And in the morning when your, your watch and the vitals tell the phone that it's about time to get up, there's a window. So you set like 15 minutes or 30 minutes before your alarm, and it'll gently wake you up with a little vibration on your wrist. And when I started using it, what I realized or what I found was that I actually remembered every single dream or every day I remember the dream that I woke up at. And before that, I never remembered dreams. And I always thought, well, I just don't dream. But I was waking up at the wrong time or I was being like startled awake. Right. Uh, and then the other thing we do is, you know, if the watch doesn't wake you up or if you, you know, someday you decide not to, we have a, uh, a light based alarm clock. So in the morning, it just gently kind of, you know, lights up because in Northern Canada, where we are in wintertime, it doesn't, the sun doesn't rise till, you know, eight, nine o'clock. 
And so it's dark all the time. So those are, those are a few of the, the hacks that we have as well. Yeah. I mean, sleeping is so important, dude. Um, your room should be cold and blacked out mm-hmm. um, to get good sleep. So like where I'm at now, I don't have my blackout curtains here. So they have yeah. good blinds, but it's in the middle of the city and there's a lot of light pollution. Yeah. And then this house that we're in, it said it had air conditionings in all the rooms, but it doesn't. <laughs> and so I, I have a chili pad that I would sleep with on my bed. So, you know, like I would cuddle up with a bunch of blankets, yeah. but my bed would still be at like 70 degrees, which is really cold for my body. Yeah. Um, and so like, there's a lot of things that you you try to do when you're not feeling a hundred percent, because I know what I felt like last year and now I know what I feel like this year. And I'm like, I want to do everything to get back to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's wild with like all the things that I do, how I feel. I got, I'm like, man, if I didn't do this, I wonder what I would feel like. Like, I wonder how I would feel if I just lived like in a nor- normal American lifestyle. Holy crap, dude. Like I would, I, I could see why like people that get sick, they never get healthy again. I mean, yeah. I, I went to, I did a colonics yesterday and this morning I, you know, went to the restroom bro, there was like worms and things in there. Like it was nasty. And I was like, this is crazy. And like, when I talked to the woman after we're done, she's like, oh yeah, you had, you flushed out a lot of stuff. And I'm like, yeah, that's so crazy. Like somebody who does so much stuff, hyperbaric oxygen, cold baths, works out a ton, right? Like eats really clean, healthy food, relatively speaking, doesn't drink a lot, doesn't drink, doesn't drink Coke ever there's so much stuff in there, your body that you don't realize that's just sucking the life out of you. So I'm like, man, I got to go do that like three more times this week because, you know, like looking at what's inside of your, because we don't see what's, if we saw what's inside our body, we would be totally different. So getting like a first eye view of what's in there, uh, you know, like big biohacking. Like I I think the biohacking wellness community is poised for some major disruption in this world because more and more people are getting access to it and the mm-hmm. pharmaceuticals can't hide that information anymore. And it's becoming less expensive. It's not as yeah. expensive as it was a decade ago. Um, even yeah. with like all the crazy government regulations on healthiness, right. Um, by banning supplements and making testosterone therapy harder or estrogen therapy, or like they're, they're doing a lot of things to make it hard mm-hmm. for people in the wellness industry to, to be well because there's no money in it for anybody except for, you know, the person administering it. And it's not like you're going to get rich doing it because it's, it's cost prohibitive for a lot of people. That's why you've got this glow about you today. I don't know if it's the lighting or if it's the colonics, but (laughs) so one last goal, two last questions, actually. What What is something that your friends would be surprised, genuinely surprised to learn about you? You're a bit of an open book, but is there anything that if you, if you shared with us today that your friends would be genuinely surprised? Um, I don't like to say it because I don't like to manifest it, but, um, often feel very lonely and friendless, hmm. like yeah. not worthy of the friends that I have, which is really something that I've been working really hard to just have that self-worth because, uh, um, because people don't just hang out with people that they don't want to hang out with. Like we're, we're not in high school anymore. We're, we're, we're in our, 
late thirties, forties, fifties, sixties. Some of my friends are older, right? Like they don't just hang out with you because, uh, because of that. So I think that would be one thing that a lot of people would be shocked because, um, I do a really good job of protecting myself with walls Mm. and you wouldn't know it from interacting with me, but like, you know, there, there, there's a few people that kind of know that. So that'd probably be one thing. Interesting. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I think naming it and, you know, letting your, I mean, if your friends hear this, that's amazing, right? Because then that gives them that insight into how you may feel about that. So what are you working on right now that got you really fired up? I have been told that I'm heavily opinionated and I am creating a separate YouTube channel that allows me to create more content based off of what I feel is important to the world um, versus just talking about like, hey, I'm a real estate coach and I coach people on how to make more sales or build the brand. It's, It's now actually building my personal brand outside of that. And I'm gonna do it separately from like TikTok and YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm probably going to create like a separate, you know, Instagram and, and all that channel, which is just more of like my name. Yeah. Because like one thing is a coach where we talk about real estate, but the other one is more where I want to talk about worldly issues, politics, cancel culture, things that I feel really passionate about. Um, because if I don't do that, I don't feel like I'm actually living my sole purpose. I, I'm mm-hmm. actually living kind of just a half-baked life. Um, kind of hundred percent. I'm not kind of, I'm, I'm really tired of being scared about what the world thinks about me because, mm-hmm. you know, I don't have 50 million clients right now. And if I did, those people would still love me anyway. So there's 7 billion people on this world. I need to be more comfortable going with the ones that you know, like me for me and stop worrying about the ones that don't. And we need to start talking about things that w- w- there, there's a time and a place where you can have fear, but, um, yeah, that's a big thing that I'm, I'm working on now is spilling my beans more freely about mm-hmm. what I believe is good or bad in the world. That's amazing. I love that. So you've got professional Vikram and then you've got the real Vikram. Yeah. And eventually those will blend into yeah. one channel. Um, yeah. but for right now, it just feels better to do them separately. And then right. I'm sure in about six months, once, uh, things are different, we'll, we'll be bringing those out more publicly on just one channel. Yeah. That's amazing. I mean, there's so many entrepreneurs online that I feel like they're imposters because they're trying to be somebody who they're not. And I love that you're bringing, you know, those two sides of you together. You know, I think about Gary Vaynerchuk. Somebody asked me yesterday at lunch, they said, you know, what do you think of Gary? And I was like, he's obnoxious. He's, he's annoying, but he's got a lot of wisdom behind what he says. Right. And if you can find that wisdom and get past the obnoxious and arrogant part of it, at least from my perspective, then, then you see the real person behind it. So good for you, man. Good for you for exploring that. And, and going to Gary, you know, because... Gary will say, you know, I, I've seen Gary speak a couple of times now. I've been blessed to see him live. He'll say like a lot of people feel the same way that you did to me. Mm-hmm. And then once they kind of like get, you know, some people don't and some people do. He's like, but a lot of people, the first time they hear me speak or they see me talk, like what a 
Yeah. And then they follow his content more. And they're like, oh, that's yeah. just, that's just who he is. And you, he's like, you either love me mm-hmm. or you don't. He's like, but everything I do is genuine from the heart and I want to see people win. And yeah. like, if you come from that space, like it doesn't matter if people like you or not. Right. It matters that like, that's where you're coming from and it's a good space. And that's what I want to do is like, I want to come from a good space to just see if, you know, we can make the world a better place. Yeah. Yeah. I hundred percent. And I feel the same way. There's a book that he wrote. And I can't remember what it was called, but one of the chapters, he, you know, the chapter before he's like, okay, next chapter is super important. Make sure you read it. And you get to the chapter. I think it was chapter four or something. I, one word care, care about your customers, care about your clients, care about your audience. Right. And I mean, that just shows, shows everything. So Vikram, I really appreciate your time today. If somebody wanted to learn more about you or get a hold of you, where can they do that? Yeah, Instagram coach Vikram Diol is the best place to find me. Awesome, awesome. Is there anything else you want to share with us before we wrap up today? I mean, dude, I always appreciate you. I, I love that we're in a uh, in a great, great, great group together. I, I love the energy you bring. Um, I love what you're doing with the world and making the world a better place. And I just want to say thank you to you and to, to your audience. And I, I hope that this brought um, at least one person something of value. And I hope that they, you know, they make their life better because of it. Absolutely. I appreciate that so much, Rickham. Thank you so much. Later, brother. All right.